What's happening, hot stuff? I want my MTV! You'll get nothing and like it! Bueller? JR, you are the daddy. Hey, how come Andrew gets to get up? That's right. If he gets up, we'll all get up. It'll be anarchy! Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Gnarly! Live from Members Only Studios, welcome to Living in the 80s, the podcast where we talk about anything and everything having to do with the 1980s. The best that we remember it. Debbie, it is so good to have you today. How are you doing? Good, thank you. Good. And we're not alone. We've got some accomplished authors and podcasters with us tonight. So you heard Debbie. She's coming to us from Austin, Texas. She's just nodding. Oh, yeah. Yeehaw. (laughs) (laughs) And Tammy has been with us before. Tammy, introduce yourself, where you're from, and tell us about a couple of best-selling books that you've written. Hey, Rob. I'm also in Austin, Texas, so yeehaw again. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I publish retro music quiz books. I have a duo of them called Ultimate Mixtape, and the sequel to that is Ultimate Mixtape Side B, of course, and another one called I Like Big Books and I Cannot Lie. Did I know about this one? I don't think I knew about this one. I don't know. Maybe I need to get you that. Maybe you might. (laughs) Wait. Plus, you know, you could always put it on the Living in the 80s Facebook page where we'd love to promote everything you do. So I'll do that as well. Thank you much. All right. And last but not least, we have got our friend, our compadre to the West. This is, yeah, he wants to call himself Big J, which he does on his podcast. This is Jason Peitzmeier. He's joining us today. He's he's all crazy and paranoid about using full names on his podcast. I don't even care. So, Jay, welcome. Hey, how you doing, Rob? Thanks for having me. Hey, no problem. Talk a little bit about your podcast action that you do and all your... So, I have uh, stumbled into the role of podcast producer, and I actually have three podcasts under my belt. They can all be found at www.ctfpresents, that's P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S dot com. We have Chewing the Fat, which is pop culture, music, movies, TV. There's Free for All, which is political commentary. And then we also have a weekly devotional called um, The Search for Authentic Faith. And coming soon, we're going to have one called Swamp Yeti Podcast, which is going to be all about CBD and supplements and the medical marijuana industry. Well, welcome everyone. I'm really looking forward to the podcast this week. We're going to be talking about rom-coms, romantic comedies of the 80s. It's Valentine's weekend. Uh, I'm sure that many of you are wanting to sit back, snuggle with that someone special, watch some of these great movies. And, you know, what better place to get that information to talk about all that is 80s rom-coms our esteemed panel here before we do that however we're gonna do a little thing we'd like to call 80s rewind this is the part of the podcast where we go down memory lane and something happened to us within the last week had to have as much 80s music and movies we listen to commercials that'll come up little retro images And we're going to go around the circle here, and we're going to start with Tammy, and she's going to talk to us about what happened. Dude, I had something really cool happen last weekend. So 
a friend from church has a 13 year old, year old daughter who is doing a history project on the cassette tape. Okay, so I, had, I was taken aback just a little bit that this is in her history class. <laughs> I think okay. we're old. Um, I don't know them super well. They've never been to the house. So we had them over to the house. She came into my lovely retro room. I showed her real cassette tapes. I gave her a blank tape, showed her my two boom boxes and my, she got to use a Walkman for the first time. And I taught her how to make a mixtape. Oh, wow. Very nice. That is very the nice. best. See, I wish I could have learned that stuff in history class. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, much more valuable later in life. I don't care. Yeah, I think I had more fun than enough. she did, and she had a good time. Wow, that's great. That's a great. That'll be hard to top, but Big Jay's gonna give it a shot. Uh, yeah, I, I, I can't top anything like that because I live a, a very isolated life. I basically just stay in my studio and either do podcasts or edit them. It seems to take up all of my time. Um, I haven't had many run-ins with uh, things that took me back to the 80s recently. Um, maybe some conversations with nieces and nephews that left them baffled that uh, that kind of technology may have existed at one time. You know, talking about uh, record players and cassette tapes like uh, uh, Tamara was saying. Is it Tamara or Tammy? Tammy's going to Tammy? Okay, yeah. Like Tammy was talking about. But yeah. Um, I, uh, I honestly don't get out enough to to get those kind of flashbacks. Occasionally, I'll hear a song I haven't heard in a long time, but uh, that's I don't have much of a story. Sorry. It's all right. And guys, just to dispel any of your preconceived notions, Jason is a married man. So, like, you can't <laughs> see, but in his uh, studio, it's actually in his basement. Uh, and he's got like all of the superhero artwork on the wall behind him. And if you go actually look, he's got, I mean, it's actually pretty impressive. He's got a wall of comic book covers and he's got, you know, boxes and boxes of comic books, very neatly organized, a lot of, uh, a lot of cool collectible. Oh, wow. Things. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty impressive. That's and, awesome. Uh, and so uh, you would think that he would not have a wife or a life, but he has both. And his, no, this, wife, his wife this is, is actually awesome. my yeah this is actually my basement this isn't my mom's basement and, uh, <laughs> uh, this is uh this is my man cave or as i like to call it my nerdvana and uh it, <laughs> it nice. looks like a comic-con exploded in here basically it it, it truly does it truly it's very it's, it's, it's almost like a museum rob has learned the hard way not to touch anything yeah if I look at something, he's he's like, I know you're thinking about touching that. Don't do it. Don't, don't you don't you do it? Jason, are those Emmaus necklaces behind you? Yes, all actually Kairos. Yeah, Kairos. Okay, sweet. We we been. My husband's been director and all kinds of good stuff. Later, very cool. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, all these layers that people have. That's awesome. <laughs> Debbie, how about your '80s rewind moment? My 80s rewind moment is a book that I am currently reading, and I don't even remember how I stumbled across it, but it's called Bread Bags and Bullies. Now, how's that for a title? Bread Bags and Bullies. And the title comes from the old Wonder Bread bags that we used to pull up over our 
shoes before we put on rubber galoshes to go outside in the late 70s and early 80s. And so the book is by Stephen Manchester. It's set the winter of 1984, and it follows three brothers during, so far, a week that they have off during winter break. Um, and it's a great story. It's a little bit like a Christmas story, but set in the 80s. And there's a sequel called Lemon Darts and Lemonade, or Yard Darts and Lemonade, and I'm looking forward to reading that one when I finish this one. Nice. You know yeah. what? I have actually heard of that book, and I was almost, I've almost ordered it once or twice, but just never have. So I get it under good authority that it is a good book. Yes. And how can you not like it when one of the brothers' nicknames is Cockroach? Got to, just like Theo's friend on the Cosby show. That's right. We, I, I spent many a summer playing uh, lawn darts. Me too. It's amazing we survived those summers. Yeah, yeah. Well, those, you know, it's, it's survival of the fittest. That's yes. right. Because those points were, were very sharp. That's right. Oh, yeah. We're the luckiest. Yes. <laughs> so my 80s rewind moment is not the most pleasant of things to share. I'm almost sickened to share this moment. But I have a subscription to Sirius XM and they've got an 80s channel. It's called 80s on 8. And you guessed that they play nothing but 80s music. And every weekend they do a countdown show. So basically they'll take the top 40 from this week in 1983, 84, 87. And they'll go back and forth from week to week. And they take you know the billboard charts from that week and they'll just, you know, like Casey Kasem would do, count them down. And it's the MTV VJs that do it. So this week they did the year 1984. And like, I remember the, this week in 1984 very well. I remember I was a senior in high school. I remember who I was dating, remember what car I was driving. I worked at Kmart, like all of the, all the good stuff, all these things are just tremendous memories and fun times and so forth. And they're going through these songs. I'm like, oh, these are great. I'm hearing songs like Owner of a Lonely Heart by Yes, Say It Isn't So by Hollow Notes, Union of the Snake by Duran Duran. And like, oh, this is just, this is a very great week for music. I was really, really engaged. And then the number 18 song was played. And I, I, I threw up in my mouth. Um, <laughs> It was Read Him and Weep by Barry Manilow. Oh. Oh, it was so disheartening, you guys. I, I couldn't even, I'm not even, it is so bad, I'm not even going to play the sample. I usually play the sample when I drop a music thing. I'm not even going to play it. It doesn't justify, I don't want to lose listeners because of this piece of crap, stupid song that is awful and terrible and hideous and Oh, I just, I think I may have verbally yelled at the radio when it came on because it is so, so, so bad. So there is proof that in the 1980s, middle-aged moms listened to the radio too, because that's the only way I can figure this song got on the this countdown. So Tammy's mm -hmm. losing it over here, apparently. <laughs> you like this song, don't you? That's why you're laughing so hard. I must have been listening to the same thing and was just belting out thinking this is a terrible song, but I know all the words. Oh my. The only thing I could remember about it was like the big buildup of the chorus. I'm like, oh yeah, I do remember this song. It was terrible. 
and it is so over the top it's like a jim steinman song so he did like <laughs> holding out for a hero with bonnie tyler all the meatloaf stuff the these big grandiose productions and it just sounds like hot trash oh my gosh i don't even remember that one i must have blocked it out oh you know what i, I would i would like to listen to a sample of it rob if you have one because i haven't heard it and or i don't recognize it by title but i'm sure if i heard it it you would bring what? back all kinds of regurgitative memories Okay, you know what? I'm just for you since you graciously, as of today, agreed to join the podcast. <laughs> here is a tiny bit of this piece of garbage just for you. Wasn't that the worst? <laughs> that was awful. <laughs> oh. What's really sad is that, you know, you talked about middle-aged women had to have been listening to the radio because my mom would put on the Barry Manilow albums and play them while cleaning the house every Saturday. So you survived to talk about it too. Yeah. Yes. Oh, it was either, wow. it was either, wow, there he is. No, no, Debbie no. just held up a Barry Manilow CD like she's proud of it. No, that is not me. That's Tammy. I'm sorry, Tammy. I'm just so flustered. I'm calling you women <laughs> the wrong names. The song is not on it, mind you. Oh, why do you have that? You know, I'm kind of sappy. I kind of like his greatest hits. The only Barry Manilow song that I even half can tolerate is Copacabana. Oof. Oh, that's a blast. Yeah, it's just that's it's, just party cheesy. It, yeah, I think that's why it's like, oh, this is just the cheese factors off the charts. What was the uh, uh, some kind of friend you turned out to be? That was one I remember from the mid '80s, probably. Oh, mm -hmm. Trying no to get idea. that feeling again. That's one of my favorites. <laughs> Come on, you guys know Mandy. I know Mandy. Oh yeah, Mandy. Mandy's good. Yeah. Looks like we made it. Weekend in New England. Like I know, I know some of the songs. Mm -hmm. I I hate them. <laughs> the flaming hot passion but it's like you hold this up the whole time so you yeah you do <laughs> You're gonna you need it. to send it to rob put it yeah. in a fedex envelope and send it tomorrow yeah. no put it put it in a box with a nice red bow on the front <laughs> she'll just put that. it in a box of chocolates for valentine's day and send it oh, that way too yeah gosh that's terrible i would say my mount rushmore of worst artists that i cannot stand listening to would be barbara streisand share Barry Manilow and probably Neil Diamond, even though I probably yeah. like two Neil Diamond songs. Luckily, we've got some good movies to talk about that'll keep our mind off of Barry Manilow, unless Tammy insists on continuing to hold up her stupid <laughs> CD. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of sappy and romantic. Oh, terrible. All right. We're going to take a brief time out. We're going to be right back and we're going to talk about uh, some of the 80s best rom coms. Hang tight. Thank you for listening to Living in the 80s. We want to take this opportunity to thank all of those that helped make this possible. First and foremost, we want to thank Anchor for providing this platform for us to share this podcast. We also want to thank Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Tuned In Radio, and about a dozen others. 
We also want to give a special thank you to Star1079.com and Roundtown Radio, where you can hear this podcast weekly. Also, be sure to check us out at our website at livinginthe80s.us and, of course, on our Facebook page, Living in the 80s. Thanks, and back to the show. Welcome back to Living in the 80s. Very happy to have Jason, Debbie, Tammy, and myself to be here talking about some of some of the more memorable 80s romantic comedies. Now, like we mentioned before, it's Valentine's weekend this week. And hopefully you remembered flowers or chocolates, or maybe you want to have a spouse that has that uh has that that love and affection for Barry Manilow. Or maybe you want to break up with somebody, give them a Barry Manilow CD. <laughs> That'll that'll seal the deal. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go around the circle here and we are going to have the have everybody just talk a little bit about each of these movies. Everybody's got to. And uh, I get this. uh, Tammy's in the chat here. OMG, I had the giggle so bad. Yikes. (laughs) She's still laughing about Barry Manilow, apparently. That or she just got a case of the giggle. I'll be okay. All right. Let's go. We can do this. <laughs> All right. Debbie, you're going to start off with one of your favorite uh, rom-coms and tell us all about it. Okay. One of my favorites was Pretty in Pink from 1986. Um, I was a huge Molly Ringwald fan. So that's probably why this one was on my radar. Not to mention that it had an awesome soundtrack too. So I played that thing until it wore out. I had it on vinyl and transferred it to cassette so I could play it in my car going to and from high school. So um, that thing was around for a long time. And I liked the movie so well and the album so well that I think I hung it on the pegboard in my dorm room when I was first away at college, the cover of the album even. So it's always been a favorite of mine. It was written by John Hughes. So we all know John Hughes from the 80s and directed by Howard Deitch. And it was a 1986 release. So if I'm sure all of you have seen it, yes. Yes, definitely. Good. Yeah. Good. And um, starring Molly Ringwald as Andy, John Cryer as Ducky, Annie Potts, Andrew McCarthy as Blaine, Andy's love interest, um, and James Spader. And for me, I think probably the most memorable part of the movie was the album itself. As I said, um, it made it to number five on the U.S. Billboard 200 album chart, and Rolling Stone named it the 11th best movie soundtrack of all time. Wow. And, you know, I still I still enjoy listening to it. And it did omit a couple songs by the Rave Ups from the soundtrack itself. But other than that, it's been great. And they did include those two songs on the new release of Life Moves Pretty Fast, which is the final set of all of John Hughes um, movie soundtracks. But some of my favorites from the album were not the top. Um, or the uh, highest rated songs. They were Shell Shocked by New Order and Wouldn't It Be Good by the Danny Hutton Hitters, although I preferred the Nick Kershaw version. Um, so lots of good songs, including Pretty in Pink. And I guess some moments that stuck out to me in the movie were the Tracks record store as an 80s, move, as an 80s moment, because those of us that remember the 80s well, we fondly look back on flipping through the bins of records at the record stores and looking for that album that you'd been wanting for months and couldn't find. And then suddenly it was there. 
than just the styles in the movie. And in one scene, Andy Molly Ringwald is wearing a an untucked blouse with a big vest and a brooch at the neck of the blouse. And those of us girls from the 80s remember those brooches fondly. You know, they were a part of our dress every day. And not to mention the dresses in the prom scene from the movie or Andy's cool car, which when I looked it up was a 1959 Volkswagen Carmen Gia Coupe. Say that with say that 10 times without stammering. And I think I loved the car so much because a girl in my high school actually had one, except hers had a few more dents and dings in it than Molly Ringwald's car. And this girl at school put a huge Band-Aid sticker over the dent, on the biggest dent on the car. <laughs> so fond memories of that. Um, what did you all think of Pretty in Pink? Did you like it? Great movie. Classic. I love that Annie Potts' character answers the phone at the record store saying, tracks, what do you want? Because in Ghostbusters, she did that. Ghostbusters, what do you want? So I thought that was pretty funny. Um, I answer spam calls that way, actually. That's awesome. <laughs> so love, how about you two guys? I love the movie. I love the John Hughes teen movies. Well, I, I didn't love Some Kind of Wonderful. It was okay. But, but the other ones I did. Uh, Pretty in Pink, I was excited to have this when this came out at the theater, just because, you know, at this point I'd seen Breakfast Club, 16 Candles, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. So it's like, I'm loving these movies. Very excited about this one. Like you, more excited for the soundtrack. And the Rave Ups, uh, fun story, uh, Molly Ringwald's sister was dating the lead singer of the Rave Ups. I think we may have, Debbie, I think you may have brought that to my attention once upon a time during a podcast. Yeah. And in 16 Candles, she's carrying a binder that says the rave ups on it, if I recall correctly. Yes, she is. Mm -hmm. Good job down, going down the hallway. Yeah, that was, I mean, that was very cool. The soundtrack itself, very awesome. Do What You Do by NXS is my favorite song on there. I mean, I'm a huge NXS fan anyway, but that one, I don't understand how that was not released as a single because that was such a good song. And everybody knows If You Leave by Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark was the one charting big hit from that movie. I probably wore that cassette out back in the day. Just I was, you know, I listened to all kinds of stuff, still do. But that was one that, that, that one has resonated. I still get on that soundtrack. Uh, I love the Ducky's sense of fashion. I could never pull that off. That was more of a Matt Moore look. A young, a young Matt Moore look back. Then. He, he, he would wear the the bolo tie and the vest and the, uh, I don't know if he wore the hats and stuff, but he, uh, he definitely went for that look. But I um, enjoyed, just truly enjoyed everything. the The best part for for me though, and he was not in there a ton, was James Spader's character. He was awesome such a jerk he probably had about five minutes of total screen time but his role just really kind of set the stage and pivoted the storyline a whole lot because he's kind of like his mind control over blaine who is not a major appliance um <laughs> just kind of the way he influenced him to make decisions and stuff was really instrumental in, in carrying the story along so yeah great movie good job jason you've seen it uh, vaguely. I, uh, I was at the age where my parents had to see a PG a PG movie before I was allowed to see it. And this one didn't make the list. So I had to go and sneak off and see it at a friend's house. And I've only seen it the one time 
and I have vague memories of it. I remember that I did love the cast. I liked Ducky's fashion. Um, I uh, I really became a fan of Andrew McCarthy uh, mm-hmm. in this movie. And James Spader to me always seemed like he was too old for the role, even though he was young. Yeah. he seemed yeah. older than he was than he was. Um, but I mean, who didn't love Molly Ringwald in the eighties? I mean, if you if you didn't, well, you have issues. So. Um, it's a it's a memorable movie it's i know it's an iconic 80s movie and mm-hmm. it's one that um i'd actually like to watch again just for just for the fun of it oh yeah it, yeah. for posterity's sake if nothing else it is a some movies are just outstanding 80s time capsules and i think that one fits the bill there for sure mm-hmm. when who would you all guess they had considered for molly ringwald's role oh in the 80s yeah i would think that Demi Moore may have been up for it. It was um, Jennifer Beals. You're kidding mm. me. I am not kidding. Flashdance had just wow. done well in the theater. And of course, John Hughes wrote, wrote the role for Molly Ringwald. So that's who he wanted. But the studio wanted Jennifer Beals. And luckily huh. she turned it down because the studio actually approached her. Can you yeah. imagine that movie with her in the role? It would be different. That would be a little different, especially since she had just played an adult couple years before going back to playing it which i think mm-hmm. probably is why john hughes may have been turned off to the idea like maybe if she had been had taken like some teenage roles but yeah that's i think it's hard to believe but yeah jason you're right james spader did seem too old for that role he seemed like 100%. he should have been like a college student then but he kind of actually kind of carried himself that way like he was yeah. the chairman of the board like all decisions got <laughs> ran, ran through Steph. Yeah. So oh, he's, yeah. He's he's a phenomenal actor. He's always been a favorite actor oh, of mine. Is. But yeah, he's just always really good. And he plays a jerk better than anybody else. He's an arrogant, like, an arrogant, arrogant person. Yes. yes he he is, carries arrogance very yeah. well. When we talk about movie tropes, like in the 80s, you had to have the preppy, good looking guy that people hated. I think yeah. all preppy, good looking guys that people hated had to look up at the work of James Spader before they could even yeah. them, before they could even tie their sweaters around their neck. I was just going to say that they had to have <laughs> William the, Zabka, the, the pink button down shirt there. with the white sweater and the dockers with the penny loafers. I mean, yes, it was there was a there was a requirement. Yes, you, there was. And they were always jerks and they always got their comeuppance in the end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was good. Yeah, when uh, Blaine calls calls him trash at the end of the movie, that's that's pretty good. Pretty good. Mm-hmm. I think everybody also knows that there was that originally the ending was that Ducky and and Andy would be together, mm-hmm. and it was shot that way. Did not test well with audiences, so was reshot as we know it today, where Andy ends up with Blaine. Yeah, which actually along with that, you see because he was away working at another movie and got his hair cut. So he had mm-hmm. to have this really terrible wig. And I, I the knew, movie now you can really tell. I knew yeah. something about that. But again, my memory of the movie is so foggy that I knew if I was going to try to tell that tidbit of trivia, I would jack it all up. And but I, I did remember that there was an original where he she was with somebody and they didn't like it. So they had to go back and reshoot it. And I scoured the internet to see if there was a YouTube video or something out there with that scene as originally shot. I couldn't locate it anywhere. There were clips of them talking about what the ending would have been, but there wasn't the actual clip itself. So, Well, hmm. apparently um, John Hughes has all of that stuff in a vault in his home 
And when he passed away, he never wanted it to see the light of day. Like their Breakfast Club was originally like three hours. Like there are dream sequences and things like that. Because you like that one part where they where they all fall asleep. There is a dream sequence for each of the characters during that time. And wow. <clears throat> that's just one example of, of it. And apparently there's lots of clips from Ferris Bueller's Day Off that didn't make the movie. And uh, uh, his widow has not released that yet. I would love to see see that. I mean, if nothing else has extra features packed onto the end, you know, maybe don't damage our movie, but it would be something that it would be really good. So mm. yeah. Yeah. Don't don't George Lucas it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't go back and change what's already a masterpiece. Yes. Absolutely. Tammy, what's your first movie? Well let's piggyback on that with 16 candles. Yes. Ah. I have it Metasol who does not like this movie, so don't ruin it if you don't like it. Uh, it came out in 1984. It's PG. Uh, it was John Hughes' directorial debut and pretty genius. He wrote the movie in just over a weekend, like the whole stinking thing. Uh, he saw a photo of Molly Ringwald, who was at the time an aspiring actress. He put the headshot over his desk and wrote that movie. So it, it was written for her. Of course, Molly Ringwald, Anthony Michael Hall, Michael Scheffling as Jake, Getty Watanabe, he's Long Dog Dong, uh, John and Joan Cusack are in it. It's star-studded. It's, it's amazing. So uh, I was going through, I didn't realize the soundtrack has 30 tracks on it. Oh, tons. Like, I knew it had a lot of great music, but wow, I listened to the whole soundtrack today, start to finish. And uh, of course, had True by Spandau Ballet, which is one of my favorites. And Young Americans, Too Shy is amazing. Uh, but I didn't realize Snowball by ACDC was on there. Um, and then it has like one of the best closing songs of any movie, I think, if you were here by the Thompson Twins. I oh, love yeah. that one. It's dreamy, but it has that cool synth vibe. And oh man, such a great song. You know what? Let, let's just listen to a tiny bit of that, shall we? If you were here, I could deceive you. If you were here, you would believe. What you suspect? Absolutely awesome. Absolutely mm -hmm. awesome. And, 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 and here's something else. Here's a bonus. Probably about a year ago, I found this version of that song. I don't know how I ran across it, but covered as a true ballad. And it was done by the Carey Brothers. Here is a reimagined little snippet of that song. And if you were here, I could deceive you. And if you were here, you would believe. And would you suspect my emotions? 
It sounds like it's brand new. I, I absolutely love that stuff. There you go. That's that's Rob's two cents worth there. Continue. <laughs> well, there's so much to like about this. I mean, there are iconic scenes everywhere. The lines can be quoted all day long. In fact, my best friend, who didn't know I was doing this this afternoon, uh, when she got up this morning, she sent me a little gif of the donger hanging his head over the bunk bed. And it said, what's happening, hot stuff? I'm like, oh my gosh. It's like, we quote this movie daily. I Lunch, we're always like, the donger needs food. So we're always, always saying it. And one of my favorite parts is when Long Dunk Dong is passed out in the yard in the morning and they try to wake him up and ask where the dong, where is my automobile? And he wakes up, automobile? Automobile? Then he starts laughing hysterically. <laughs> yes. yes. I made a t-shirt that just says Lake, Big Lake. Uh, now that for sale like i just love everything about this um and and of course you know she winds up with her dream man mm -hmm. what girl's not gonna love that and he was he was loving for her too so guys should like this too yeah <laughs> i i found a whole ton of trivia but there are a couple things that i thought were were interesting when her sister Ginny sits down halfway walking trying to walk down the aisle she sits down next to John and Jim Belushi's mom hmm. and then the reverend is played by Bill Murray's older brother Brian oh, wow. Murray. yes I had no idea yeah so that was good and then Anthony Michael Hall and Molly Ringwald initially didn't get along they didn't like each other and John Hughes, being the genius that he is, took them to a record store. And they actually bonded because they found out they both liked the rape-ups. Oh, wow. Look at that common thread. The rape-ups is everywhere. Yeah, it, they are pretty amazing. Maybe the most underrated band of the 80s that everyone has heard, but not maybe not known it. Hmm. Exactly. That's very cool. I know that Molly Ringwald and Anthony Michael Hall did date for a while, too. I think during the filming of The Breakfast Club, I think they were dating. So, fun fact. Wow. Yeah. So, what are your thoughts? 16 Candles? Good? Bad? It's classic. I loved it. Yeah, I loved yeah. it. I mean, what girl doesn't want the their love interest in high school to be waiting across the church after their sister's wedding? You know, With a Porsche. With a Porsche? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, I would have totally reacted like her, like looking around, like, surely you're not looking for me. 100%. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. You was like, oh, and you kissing over a cardboard cake. Well, exactly. Bizarre, but really sweet for the ending of a movie. I yes. was always amazed that the clothing didn't catch on fire because they yes. got really close to those candles. They did. <laughs> well, hey, love is fireproof. That's what we learned. So there you That's go. What we learned. Oh, geez. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. No, I I have always just absolutely loved this movie, Tammy. Like you said, there there are so many 
one-liners, whether it's Long Duck Dong, um, Farmer Ted has a ton of one-liners. <laughs> like they're in the car and he goes over trying to make up on make out with her and she thinks he's getting really inappropriate and like, what's that? Oh, breath mints. Priority in my life. <laughs> so yeah. That's and uh, Did you him- guys know that his name in the movie is actually Ted Farmer? Is it really? <laughs> But it became Farmer Ted, and there's some long thing about how well in school you're often called off last name first, and that's probably how it became Farmer Ted. But it was supposed to be Ted Farmer. Oh wow! Did huh. not know that. That's great trivia. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Looking at the soundtrack here, like you said, is amazing. We've got Paul Young, Wingo Boingo, The Specials, Patty Smith, Altered Images, Thompson Twins, David Bowie uh kaja gugu um night ranger tim finn who we know from um uh, split ends uh nick hayward stevie ray vaughn like it goes on and on and on and i'm sure that debbie has been listening to this on her album she keeps bragging about i have been <laughs> that vinyl <laughs> set's awesome <laughs> yeah i'm i'm really hoping that that'll come out on vi- digital eventually um i do have all of my John Hughes playlist songs, but uh, yeah, that as a collection would be very cool to, very cool to have. So nice. Mm. Well, any other thoughts on 16 candles before we move on? All right. Big J, what do you got? When I was thinking of rom-coms, I kind of leaned a little heavier on the comedy and aside from the romance. uh, And my first pick is coming to America. Mm. Good one. Coming to America came out in 1988. It starred Eddie Murphy, Arsenio Hall, James Earl Jones, John Amos, Eric LaSalle, uh, and a bunch of other people, um, including multiple characters by Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall. So the synopsis is basically forced into an arranged marriage by his father, the king of the fictional nation of Zamunda, Prince Sakim, played by Eddie Murphy, takes off to America with his valet, Simi, played by Arsenio Hall, in a last-ditch effort to find true love before being locked into a marriage he doesn't want. Um, this is just a classic, iconic. Uh, he, he goes to Queens uh, because he's looking for a queen, so he thought that that's where he would find one, uh, which is absolutely hilarious. Um, anybody who's pretty much an 80s kid knows this movie. It's it's an iconic 80s film. This is one of my favorite movies of all time, not just the 80s. Uh, the comedy is on point. The overall theme and feel of the movie is a time capsule of life in the 80s. Everything from the cars to the clothes to the fashions to the dialogue to the commercials on the TV to the way uh, every every set was made. It's, it's just straight 80s. Um, and one thing that, uh, you know, to show that it's actually had gotten respect is that um, recently they came out within the last year or so uh, they came out with a sequel uh, instead of a reboot, which mm-hmm. I think is actually a, a, a testimony to the cultural iconic nature of this movie and that they weren't going to try to redo it. They were just going to continue the story. And I think that was really awesome. And I thought the sequel was great too. doesn't really have much of a soundtrack, uh, unless you want to count uh, sexual chocolates cover of Mariah of uh, Whitney Houston's greatest love of all. Sexual chocolate. 
They play so fine, don't you agree? Can't take away my dignity. Be called the great ass. Love of all inside of me. Yeah. Um. <laughs> which was awesome. which was in- incredible in my point. I mean, very memorable bring, part of the movie, yes. Brings tears to my eyes every time I see it. And uh um and then, of course, the Coming to America song was kind of popular. I don't know if it ever got any radio play, but it had it was a jaunty little tune. Um, some of the fun trivia that I had found um, was that it was actually Cuba Gooding Jr.'s first movie. Mm. And it actually featured a cameo by Samuel L. Jackson as a robber who came in to rob the burger joint, McDowell's. <laughs> McDowell's. <laughs> McDowell's, Yeah. <laughs> Uh, McDowell's in the movie was actually a, it wasn't a McDonald's, it was actually a Wendy's that was mm. in Queens. Oh, I didn't know that. It's <laughs> actually uh, since been bulldozed and made into an apartment complex, so it doesn't Oh, exist. that's sad. But they have actually opened, uh, at least in one location, a McDowell's restaurant, a McDowell's burger joint, in, in homage to the movie. Oh, as they should. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Don Amici and Ralph Bellamy reprised the Duke brothers' roles from Trading Places in a scene where uh, Akeem, played by Eddie Murphy, gives them a sack full of cash that he had taken from Simi. And <laughs> they do the whole, we're back in business! You know, That was awesome! Out. That was so yes. great. Yes. Uh, another fun fact about those two characters, they were um, kind of the inspiration, or I think I got this backwards, but Statler and Waldorf Mm-hmm. Who are the the two crony puppets uh, Muppets in the uh, up in the box seats on the Muppet Show were the inspiration for those two characters? Yes. Yeah, and um, this was the first movie that Eddie Murphy actually played multiple roles. He's done it in other movies as well, you know, especially uh, The Nutty Professor and uh, some other movies that he's done. But this was the first time he ever played multiple roles, and he played four characters in that in that movie and Arsenio Hall played three of them including one of the uh ugly women that they were trying to pick up in the club (laughs) so but um one thing that when I talk about the 80s iconicness of this movie is just it showed old gritty New York Mm -hmm. you know back before they cleaned it up you know back when there were still you know uh triple x movie theaters and prostitutes all over the streets and it was just dirty and dungy dingy i mean granted it was queens but it still had that gritty new york feel coca-cola was everywhere um soul glow was an absolute hilarious oh my goodness on, on uh is on after sheen when the family was sitting on that couch and they get up and there's all this jerry curl she's like dripping down <laughs> jerry yeah the couch is wrapped in plastic still yes. and they get up and there's the afro sheen the jerry curl wet spots on the wall behind oh, them my. you know eric lasalle drove Jesus. a camaro you know and I, there was just there was just so much 80s stuff uh in that and um anderson mm-hmm. huh Louis. 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 I keep wanting to say Lonnie Anderson, and that is so wrong. No, no, um, no. <laughs> yeah. Louis Anderson. The whole reason Louis Anderson got the role is because they said we have to have at least one white guy in the show. <laughs> Let's get Louis so, Anderson. He's funny. And so yeah, and Eddie Murphy was like, Oh, Louis Anderson's funny, put him in the movie. 
And that's they that's how Louis gave, Anderson. Sorry, I read that I read that they gave the actors a choice of three different white people to choose from. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. That's and so the, racist. The other two, like nobody, <laughs> nobody knows who the other two are. Hmm. Huh. That's awesome. Probably like Andrew Dice Clay and like Richard Lewis or somebody. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's yeah. Cool. So, cool. so yeah, it's, uh, I, I just think uh, coming to America and, you know, it is at its heart, it is a romantic comedy because he's looking for love and yeah. that's what it's all about. And he finds love and what he's willing to give up. He's willing to give up his kingdom for love. And it kind of gets, uh, you know, whitewashed and well, not let's not say whitewashed it (laughs) it kind of gets uh uh, overshadowed in all of the comedy but at its heart it is a uh it is a romantic movie yeah i absolutely agree yes when when er first came on eric lasalle was on there i'm like where do i know that guy from (laughs) i remember thinking the same thing it hit me i don't know at what point it hit me maybe not even the first episode maybe the second or third one and i'm like Oh, that's Soul Glow. That's who that is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's really oh. sad is I uh, I became a fan of John Amos um, when he was in Beastmaster. And so then I was watching Coming to America later and I was like, oh, it's the guy from Beastmaster, you know, not really <laughs> knowing who he was as an NFL pro and, you know, anything else he had been in. But that was my us, point. Us old, us old folks saw him <clears throat> as the dad on Good Times. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, he was a dad on yes. Good Times. And he was actually... Uh, it's Kunta Kinte and Roots. Kunta, Kunta Kinte, grown up yeah, and Roots. He, yeah. he left, um, he left uh, Good Times to do Roots and to do, take on more serious roles, which, you know, is kind of hit and miss career. And then this came along and it's just like, oh, this guy's he's funny. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I always enjoyed coming to America. Like back in those days, Eddie Murphy could have just sat there in a chair for an hour and a half and not said anything and it would do 10 million dollars worth of business like he was he was everywhere doing everything he was the it guy back then so i really enjoyed that arsenio hall was up and coming so those two together really played off each other greatly uh mcdowell's always made me laugh like he kept like john amos kept trying to differentiate between themselves and mcdonald's and the, uh, the Big Mac and the Big Mick. Yes. Mm-hmm. No, we made this up. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. They yeah, have sesame seeds on their bun and we don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, yeah, really, really, truly enjoyed it. Um, I, I, unlike you, I was not overly excited. I, mean, I was excited for the sequel but uh did not really like it that much i mean it was okay it just felt like it's sort of lame but what i did love was that two of the characters like i think it's eddie murphy's daughter is getting ready to marry this kid and they're they're walking through this garden and they're talking about um how you know movies don't need to be remade or sequels don't need to stand on its own because once you try it's going to be crap and i'm like <laughs> Like thinking like that's the funniest line of the whole movie because it was very accurate as far as this. But uh, I, I did enjoy seeing the characters come back and and some of that. So it wasn't terrible, but uh, overall, I I was a little little disappointed. But coming it, to it America, was a little originally flat, was great. I was I loved all of the. Uh, I said it was a little flat, but I yeah. I loved all of the kickbacks and all of the wink and nudge and all of the yeah. references to the original. 
Now, another really cool tidbit is that James Earl Jones and uh, played the King of Zamunda and his wife actually were cast to play Mufasa and the uh, his wife in The Lion King. Oh, no kidding. They, they played off of each other. So they were the voice actors for both of those characters as well. Neat. That is good stuff. All right, ladies, anything else on uh, Coming to America? I think he covered it. All right. Yeah, it's a great movie. You said it. So my first movie we're going to talk about is one that I thoroughly enjoyed. One of my favorite actors of the 80s and 90s, probably into the early 2000s, was John Cusack. Everything he did, I have related so much to his character. He's about, to all of his characters, he's about my age. So I kind of really followed his career um, as he kind of grew up and into these more adult roles and stuff. But I think his most iconic role has got to be that of Lane Meyer and Better Off Dead. Uh, This movie uh, was released in 1985 and stars John Cusack as... Lane Meyer, uh, Curtis Armstrong, who we know as Booger from Revenge of the Nerds, played his best friend. And uh, Diane Franklin played the foreign exchange student. Uh, David Ogden Stiers had a great role as his dad. And um, um, Amanda Weiss played the evil Beth who breaks Lane's heart. So the synopsis of this movie is... uh, Lane meets Beth in the summer and they fall in love before she comes. She's new to town, so she doesn't know that he's just this average guy. She's really taken aback by him. He's charming and nice and so forth. And um, they date throughout the summer into the school year. And he's totally infatuated with her. Look into his closet where his clothes are hung up and they're all pictures of Beth everywhere just on every coat hanger and she is she's everything uh to him and uh once she realizes he's not super popular probably you know right around christmas time uh she dumps him for roy stalin the ski instructor breaks his heart uh he is to the point where he you know he's trying to a forgetter. He's trying. He tries to take his own life a couple times. Very comedic, though. It's not like he really would have accomplished it. He's going to jump off a bridge, and he falls into the back of a garbage truck. He tries to hang himself, and he's like, "This is dumb. Why would I do this?" He's going to take the rope off. His mom opens the door, and he's swinging and flailing around. <laughs> so he finally gets down from there. Um, he has no self-confidence. Beth has wrecked him completely. And uh, Monique, the foreign exchange student, who's staying with Ricky Smith, the nasal um, nasal spray sniffing kid across the street, uh, he, he has got his, his sights on her like she belongs to him. Uh, she acts like she doesn't speak English, only French. And so... She meets Lane and realizes that there's a little chemistry there. So she starts speaking perfect English to him and she helps him get this confidence. And his 68 Camaro sitting in the driveway in an auto cocoon, she helps him restore it. And uh, it, it's brand new and cherry and 
not to give away the end of the movie, but everything turns around for Lane. Beth comes back and he's not interested. So he gets his comeuppance. Uh, the movie itself did about $10 million at the box office. And uh, Siskel and Ebert both gave it a thumbs down. Uh, neither one of them even wrote about it in their uh, column in Chicago Tribune that was actually syndicated. Uh, they had no use for it. But this, this movie has lived on, much like 16 Candles, this movie has got a ton of lines, including, and you know you say it all the time, even if you've not seen the movie, everybody said, I want my $2. That came from Better Off Dead. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, just the, the characters throughout, just so comical. Um, absolutely love them. The soundtrack is phenomenal um there's the, the commercial soundtrack didn't really have anything on it just like instrumentals and some uh not so popular songs but uh like to get to know you well by howard jones was in the movie um everybody wants some by van halen is a very integral part uh he's working in this hamburger joint and he kind of he starts daydreaming he, creates a claymation Eddie Van Halen out of a hamburger. And, you know, that is a very, very um, iconic scene. Uh, the one song on there that I truly love is Manish Boy by Bo Diddley. I always said if I ever played baseball, that would be my walk-up song. Uh, that's, that's a great one. Uh, there's songs on there by The Fix. Um, Paul Simon. Um, uh Jimi Hendrix. So there, there's so much on there. One of my favorites, though, is the montage uh, when he, he like he can't get Beth off his mind. There's a series of songs that play on the radio. Breaking up is hard to do. She's gone. 50 ways to leave your lover. And he finally takes the radio and chucks it out the window. And about that time, the two crazy Japanese guys pull up beside him wanting to race. One speaks no English. The other learn how to speak English by watching ABC's Wide World of Sports. So he sounds just like Howard Cosell. And who, <laughs> and who is it? It happens to be chosen from Karate Kid. So yes, he does speak perfect English without an accent in real life. But uh, that's, uh, again, such an iconic classic 80s movie tammy please tell me you've seen this movie well i really want to oh. <laughs> <laughs> i know isn't that bizarre i have not seen this and i really really want to see it um i've seen i've seen clips and bits and pieces of it and and kept thinking surely i've seen this but i haven't oh my wow. so silly so silly yeah. yeah. Well, I'm I'm with Tammy on this one. Um, I'm not. I'm really batting a thousand on this show because <laughs> I I haven't seen uh, Better Off Dead. I've seen clips. I've seen. I know the two. I want my two dollars clip. Uh, I know it's. It kind of ends with him accidentally going down a ski hill and like skiing away from something, and the kids following him screaming, "I want my two dollars." I remember vaguely a scene like that. Um, but yeah, I, I honestly, this is not a movie I've seen either. Help us so, out, Debbie. I saw it in the theater. 
and I love him. Yes. yes. Nice. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> yeah. This this is must watch movie viewing if you're a teenager of the '80s or even a child of the '80s because you know even looking back on it, it is just it is so it's it's, it's ludicrous. It is so funny, and uh, mm-hmm. seeing a young young John Cusack in this role is just it, it's very good. It'll it'll really capture your your 80s nostalgia if that's what you're looking for in a movie so yeah i would i would recommend seeing it and you know debbie i have a harder and harder time making fun of you for waiting so long to see the outsiders that i almost forget that i've got these two here that have never seen better off dead that's right right. you'd have a watch party yeah (laughs) we should we should we should do like a weekly watch party of 80s movies and just see who shows up and watches with us that would be fun i like that i like that well unfortunately like i said earlier uh in the 80s i was young and i wasn't allowed to watch any movies unless my parents gave it the green light and there weren't a lot of movies in the 80s and my parents gave a green light to Hmm. and um so like i wasn't even allowed to watch return of the jedi when it came out in theaters Wow. Oh, wow. How about that so about you, didn't it? Huh? You're, a big, you're, a big, you're a big Star Wars guy. About that about I, I've more than made up for that. Uh, but I, um, so there's there's a lot of movies I had to catch up on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like mm-hmm. I said, if I ever did see them, it was over at a relative's house who didn't know better or a friend's house or something. And Better Off Dead just wasn't a movie that came up. Oh, it was more like, you know, the horror movies we weren't allowed to watch and, you know, that kind of stuff. So. Gotcha. Sometime in the near future, I want you to watch it and report back and just give me your thoughts. So it'll be we'll fun. do. We'll All do. Right. Yeah. We are bumping right up against our next break. So we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. Everyone's going to go through one more time, talk about their favorite 80s romantic comedies, and we will be right back. If you like living in the 80s, be sure to check out the 80s Rewind Show. Based in the UK, my guy Robbie scores some great interviews with several artists that were part of the UK music scene in the 80s. You can find the 80s Rewind Show on Apple, Spotify, or just about anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Be sure to check out the 80s Rewind Show. Welcome back to Living in the 80s. Uh, We are midway through our conversation on our favorite romantic comedies of the 80s. We've gone around one time and we have talked about Coming to America, Pretty in Pink, 16 Candles, and Better Off Dead. So these are movies, they're comedies, but there's a romantic undertone to each one of them. We're going to go through one more time, starting with Tammy. Now, Jason's a little upset that you stole this one. Uh-huh. Um, so do tell talk to us about your movie all right i'm going to talk about the timeless the princess bride and mm. i don't i don't know if i know anybody who hasn't seen this who grew up in our generation but it came out in 87 it was rated pg directed by rob reiner and it was based on the book by william goldman uh it just this this has romantic overtones and then humor just thrown all over on top of it. So we've got Carrie Elwes as, as Wesley, Robin Wright as Princess Buttercup, Peter Falk as the grandfather, Fred Savage as the grandson, of course, Andre the Giant, Billy Crystal, um, Wallace Shawn as Bazzini, and oh, who played Inigo Montoya? 
Andy Patinkin. Andy Patinkin, thank you. Boy, yeah, you just, so just, just flowed. Oh, dear. Ooh, this this is my movie. So, oh, I'm going so to try really hard to give you the spotlight, but go well, ahead. I'm going to let you chime in a whole lot here, but um, the soundtrack, really, the whole thing is done by Mark Knopfler from Dire Straits. And uh, I really, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about the soundtrack for this movie before. Um, there is a song called Storybook Love that was nominated for Best Original Song for an Academy Award. It's a great song. Oh, it's yeah. the end, it's I, the I end credit song. So good. Except, did you have you seen the video? Because the guy singing it, uh, Willie DeVille, looks so cheesy in that video. I was I was laughing pretty hard, <laughs> even though the song's really good. So that's worth a worth a look, listen, worth a watch. Um, memorable lines again, just just about the whole movie <laughs> is a repeatable line. You know, um, saying inconceivable and as you wish, and um, my name is Anita <laughs> You killed my father. Prepare to die. And yes, the whole marriage and my husband's favorite only because. Well, he's kind of creeped out because I do it well, but was the ancient booer. So I love to just go, boo, boo. Prick my finger at him and he's like, oh, you scare me. (laughs) (laughs) And there's so many more. Um, And you can probably unpack a couple hours worth of trivia about this movie and fun facts. It's just amazing. I will tell you that there is a video that you need to find on YouTube. It is called Inconceivable Tales from the Making of the Princess Bride, Carrie Elway's Talks at Google. It is amazingly entertaining. And at the 10 minute and 44 second point, like if you don't have time to watch the whole thing, go there because I was cry laughing, which seems to be a theme tonight. (laughs) I was absolutely cry laughing at his story about Andre the Giant farting an epic fart during one of their scenes. And I'm not even gonna go into the rest of it because you just have to watch Carrie tell it. It's better than even reading it, but just, (laughs) just dying, it's hilarious. Tammy, why don't you do me a favor? Like. Saturday when this is released, why don't you put that on the Facebook page? If you can find it, put the link there and and share that. That yeah, sounds absolutely. hilarious. Yeah. And if you think to text me to remind me, that'd be good. Okay. So if I don't, Debbie will. She's she is the memory and the brains behind the operation here. Sweet. Ooh, make a note. <laughs> <laughs> She'll do it too. So I find it very easy to believe that um, Billy Crystal's comedy cracked everybody up so much that half the time they'd have to leave the set. Uh, even Rob Reiner had to be placed elsewhere so that they could get through <laughs> some of the some of those imp- improvised lines. Um, Mandy Patinkin claims he oh, bruised wow. a rib, stifling his laughter in his scenes with Billy Crystal. That's a lot of laughter. <laughs> Something I did not realize, the R-O-U-S's, or the rodents of unusual size, there were actually little actors inside rat suits. Mm-hmm. 
Oh my goodness. And Jason is holding up autograph photo after autograph photo or poster from the movie as you're talking. That is so <laughs> fabulous. That is that is great. That's great. I have so much more, but Jason, I just want to hear you share some why you love it so much. Um, well, I would I would like to hear what else you have. I mean, I've always fascinated to hear about Princess Bride, people's personal experiences about it. Uh, I saw this when I was a kid and uh, it was, it has been just, I've seen it multiple, multiple times. It's in my top five of movies that I can quote almost line for line uh, from the beginning. Uh, I have so many connections with this movie. My cousin went to Stanford and uh, he was roommates with Fred Savage. Savage. Um, I've met Carrie Elways. I've met Mandy, uh, not Mandy Patinkin. I met uh, Wallace Shawn and I've gotten his autograph. I have a t-shirt that says inconceivable that he actually signed. Um, I've got, uh, I don't know if you guys saw, I have a diorama of Princess Bride action figures on my wall. Um, this is just, this is a movie that is so close to my heart and something that I have loved almost my entire life, almost as much as Star Wars. So, and meeting Carrie always was amazing. And Wallace Shawn was, I've met him a couple of times. Um, it was just, it's, it's great. It's a great movie and I can't ever speak enough of it. There's so many quotable lines and so many scenes and it's just such a well done movie. The masterpiece. Yeah. It's just Absolutely. from beginning to end, there isn't a, a slow moment, a dull moment. It keeps your interest. It keeps you riveted. Um, I, uh, I, I, my wife and I actually have shirts that we wear to the Renaissance festival and mine says get back, witch." And her says, I'm not a witch, I'm your wife from, <laughs> from Miracle Max. And uh, I, I found out the hard way, I can't really wear that shirt by myself. Uh, I really need her to validate because I get a lot of ugly looks from women when I wear that shirt. <laughs> ugly women give me looks, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, so um, that's just, you know, when Rob said we're going to be doing romantic comedies, I'm like, please tell me somebody didn't take Princess Bride already, so... Oh, but so uh, like I said, though, Tammy, I would love to hear what else you have to say, because I love um, I love seeing the movie through other people's eyes. Um, I just like all this trivia stuff. So it was really cold while they were filming some of the scenes and Robin got super, super cold. And Andre would put one of his hands over her head to keep her warm. And his hands were so big that it would absolutely completely cover the whole top half of her head. Mm. <laughs> and how sweet of him and then he farted um, on her so. oh my gosh <laughs> yeah. guys, which so kept good. her really warm the dutch the, the dutch the giant dutch oven there it is yeah. <laughs> well and all the time i mean they practiced for the sword fights eight hours a day before they started shooting wow and then all the the i mean there's they had the best coaches for that available um and and they those coaches would stand on the on the outskirts, whatever you call it, offset. Um, and as soon as there was a break, they'd whisk the guys off to go practice sword fighting again. Um, they had to learn each other's parts as well for safety, so they didn't stab each other. Nice. And uh -huh. Yeah, there's there, there's a lot of cool stuff about that. Um, I think it's so sweet. The story about the story itself is so sweet. I mean, it's all about true love, and 
who doesn't like that? Yeah. So I did, however, find, um, well, and I forgot to mention, this is a grown-up fairy tale. Like, this, as part of the reason why I think we all love it is as kids, we love fairy tales. And this is a grown-up fairy tale, and it brings back all the, like, sweet fairy tale emotions from of being a kid and mixes all that up with the love that we all want to feel as adults. Mm -hmm. But I have, I found kind of by chance four things that both this and 16 Candles have in common. Do tell. Yeah, so it was crazy. Um, simply, both films end with an unforgettable kiss. Possibly the most, how, how do they say it? When Princess Bride, Jason? Uh, of all the kisses and all of history, none were so powerful, none were so beautiful, none were so passionate. Thank you. Amazing. Um, both films are only modest box office hits, but they became huge once released on VHS. Mm -hmm. uh, the Princess Bride film, the grandson and the grandfather both live in Evanston, Illinois, which is a suburb of Chicago. Much of 16 Candles was filmed in and around Evanston and actually Samantha's house is still there, like somebody lives in it. So they've got that. And then in both movies, all of the actors who play the grandfathers also played characters in different Twilight Zone episodes. Wow. Hmm. Oh, wow. So crazy That's, bizarre. That is super cool trivia. That's like the obscure stuff there. Nice. Mm -hmm. Last weekend, I did a, I officiated a marriage and we were at the rehearsal and I said, marriage is what brings us here today. So <laughs> they, uh, about three people laughed, but they laughed hard. So another uh, fun tri uh, trivia fact is William Goldman actually wrote the story of the Princess Bride and uh, he actually did the screenplay for Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. And when they filmed the scene where they were going to jump off the cliff and he said, you know, I can't swim. And he said, that's OK. The fall will probably kill you there. He envisioned the cliffs of insanity when he was writing that. <laughs> nice. Yeah, there's a there's a whole lore about that where William Goldman wrote a screenplay or a, a, a novel about the story where it was about him. William Goldman, when he was a kid, he had pneumonia. He was really sick and his grandfather came and read him this book and uh, he loved the book. He loved the story and he loved that time with his grandfather and or it was actually his dad. His dad was an immigrant who had an accent. And when he grew up, he wanted to get his son a special gift. So he bought this book. He found the book at a rare bookstore and sent it to his kid because he was all filming, you know, with the filming of Butch Cassidy. So he would call his son and he would be like, are you reading the book? And he's like, yeah, it's OK. It's like, what do you mean it's okay? What about this? And what about this? And he's like, Dad, that's not in the book at all. So when he came home, he looked at the book that he had bought him that this, you know, was supposedly being read the uh, by S. Morgenstern. And uh, he read it and realized that his father had changed on the fly so much stuff in the book and left out entire chapters. And so oh, when wow. he recounted the prince, when he wrote The Princess Bride, it was his father's version. Mm. So nice. I read all of this and I, I actually owned the Princess Bride, the good parts version by uh, William Goldman. I owned all of that and come to find out that entire story is a lie. <laughs> oh, None man. of that is true. It was all marketing for his book. 
Oh, <laughs> yeah, I was, I was devastated. Yeah, that's great. Did you know that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was offered the role of Fezzik? Mm-hmm. He mm. totally wanted the role, but his shooting conflicted with his NBA schedule, so couldn't take yeah. it. Yeah, which is a good thing because couldn't step away from his day job. Yeah. So, all right. Well, man, thank you. Debbie, do you have anything? I mean, these two covered it pretty well. (laughs) I don't have anything. That was one of those movies that I didn't see until quite a few years afterwards because that was my freshman year of college. And the town where I was going to college only had one movie theater with one screen. And so Princess Bride never made it there. And when I went into the town nearby that was bigger, we didn't see movies all that often, even when we went in there just to get to get to a bigger city, but I missed it until I was much older. So I kind of missed the boat. Yeah, I did too. Um, when it was out, I didn't even know it was a thing. Never heard of it on VHS later. Like you said, Tammy, like people, it became like this cult mm-hmm. classic. So pe- everyone's talking about it. So I'm like, I got to watch it. Crack me up. Uh, being a wrestling fan, seeing Andre the Giant on there was very cool. Uh, I've always loved Billy Crystal, even though he didn't have a huge role in it. He just, you know, he steals every scene he's in. So, Mm -hmm. which I think we're going to hear about him in just a minute here. So Uh, Mm -hmm. good stuff. All right. So Tammy, thank you for that. It was very good. And actually she's, you know, not only is she an author, she's also a rock star. So she's going (laughs) to dip out of the conversation here and we're going to continue, but uh, I appreciate you coming on and thank you so much. And uh, just uh, think as always, you're awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I'm going to go play some Journey in Toto with my buddies. Nice. <laughs> it was great meeting you, Tammy. Thank you. Likewise. You guys have a good one, and uh, we'll talk soon. All right. We'll see you. Awesome. Right. So, Tammy. And then there were three. Yes. <laughs> Goodbye, Tammy. So, Debbie. Yes. You got another Billy Crystal movie to talk about? I do. Good segue. I'm going to talk a little bit about When Harry Met Sally. And that for me is just an iconic film that I definitely associate with the 80s. It was released in 1989, so barely squeaked into the 80s in terms of being a movie, but it covers the era from 1977 through 1989. And it follows Harry and Sally who met um, on a road trip going home from college after graduation to the city. And he hitches a ride with her They chat for a little bit. She really doesn't like him in the car when they're driving, but they get along well enough. And five years later, they run into each other at an airport. And then five years later, again, they meet and decide that they're going to try to be friends, even though earlier they had had a conversation about the fact that they did not believe that uh, men and women could be friends, that it always led to romance. And lo and behold, spoiler alert, it does by the end of the movie between (laughs) Harry and Sally. And the stars in the movie are Billy Crystal as Harry, Meg Ryan as Sally, Carrie Fisher as Marie, and Bruno Kirby as Jess. And it was written by Nora Ephron, directed by Rob Reiner. And the story itself comes from their friendship. Um, And they never, to the best of my knowledge, were romantically involved, but it just goes over some things that they experienced as friends. Um, Some fun trivia facts about the movie. Tom Hanks was originally considered for the role of Harry. And I think he could probably have pulled that off. I think mm-hmm. he could have, yeah. Mm-hmm. And Molly Ringwald almost played Sally. That I don't know that I could see, but maybe, maybe mm. she could do it. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't see it. I don't Mm-mm. see it. 
Yeah, the film was originally called How They Met, which goes along with the recorded pieces at the end of the movie with the couples talking about how they met, real life couples talking. And Bill, Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan immediately hit it off when they met for the movie. So hence the chemistry that you can feel throughout the movie that they really do get along well with one another. And you all may know this. Who knows who delivered the famous line, I'll have what she's having at Katz's Diner. Does anybody know who that was? Isn't it Rob Reiner's mom? It is his mom, 100%, yes. And that is probably one of the most memorable lines of the movie. Yes, it Um, is. Mm -hmm. Even if you've not seen seen the movie, you know that scene. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then there's another scene in the movie after Harry and Sally get together when each of them is back in their own place and they call their friends who are together to tell them what has just occurred. That scene was shot 61 times. Oh my. Because they were on the phone talking to each other. So they had to interact as if they were on phone. So they actually had cameras in three separate rooms since the characters were supposed to be in three locations and it was filming each room individually and their reactions as they were actually connected by some sort of a phone setup to have their conversation. Can you imagine 61 takes of the same same scene? Mm. That's a lot. (laughs) And um, in the New Year's Eve scene where Billy Crystal is declaring his love for Meg Ryan, he ad-libbed most of those lines that he said. Wow. wow. Yeah, because that speech was phenomenal. Yes, it was. He talks about the way her eyes crinkle and, you know, all sorts of things. And so he did a really good job. I did not know that was ad-libbed. Like, I've seen that movie yeah. several times and uh, always, always enjoyed it. But uh, I never had any idea it was ad-libbed. It's like yeah. one of the best, you know, cinematic declarations of love that they're, you know, that you come across. And he just, from the seat of his pants. Go yeah, I would guess that there were probably a few lines that were written in there that he used and that he just probably added to it and embellished and made mm. it a perfect scene. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Ripped off of his actual lines and just kind of carried it on, you know, taking into account how much he, how well he knew Meg and what he liked about her. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So it's a beautiful scene when you think about it in that respect. And the original script ended with the characters going their separate ways. Oh, Oh. I would not have liked it as much. That no, that would not have been good. I am a sucker Mm -hmm. for the happy ending. I do not. I would not. I would have hated the movie. No matter how yeah. good it is leading up to that point, if it ends bad, I never want to see it again. It would have been a total letdown. Wow. Yeah. And some of you may have known this. Stephen Ford, who played Sally's boyfriend at the airport, mm-hmm. is he's, his name in the movie was Joe, is President Ford's son. Did oh. not know that. Huh. Yes. Yes. And when the movie was released, the, the critics did not give it good reviews. And Billy Crystal himself thought that it would bomb as it was opening against Batman in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. It's a tough lineup. It is. It was proof, but even with that, proof that women yeah. see movies. It is 100% exactly. proof. And even with that competition, it ended up being a hit and was the 11th highest grossing movie of the year, earning $93 million. Wow. And um, it was nominated for an Oscar but lost to Dead Poets Society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some tough that. competition yeah. mm-hmm. so that's understandable yes yeah and uh, one more little bit of history the um baby fish mouth scene with pictionary mm-hmm. they were actually playing a pictionary game they hadn't rehearsed what was going to happen all that the director told meg ryan 
was to draw the word baby talk. And so all those guesses were just things that were thrown out. So baby fish mouth supposedly just naturally occurred without any scripting. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> that is awesome. Uh, and um, then in, good. I know you go ahead, Rob. No, no, no. Okay. In terms of the soundtrack, not a ton of memorable songs, some old standards. Um, let's call the whole thing off. It had to be you, but the soundtrack itself outside of old standards was written by Harry Connick Jr. Mm. <laughs> Did not know that. Say so that that the music in that is is very much a very New York feel soundtrack for sure. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So how did you all feel about the movie? I liked it. I did not realize it was released the same time Batman was. So how many people went? You know what? Let's go to the movies. Like you and your friends can go see Batman. We're going to go see When Harry Met Sally. I bet thousands of people. Uh, they probably got so much business because the the men were going to see Batman that it helped prop <laughs> their own um, box office up there. But yeah, I seen this. I, I think. Uh, sorry, Rob. I, I I think that it would probably be more of a trade off. The uh, the girls were saying, "Okay, I'll go watch Batman with you if you go watch Harry Met Sally." With <laughs> yes, <me>. you're probably <laughs> right. You're probably right. I've I've seen this several times over the years, most recently, just a few weeks ago, and it has held up very nicely. The story has held up good. I, I could never get uh, Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan. He always seemed older than her to me. Mm-hmm. But it, it, if I can get past that, it makes sense. I could have seen Tom Hanks in that role for sure, or a mm-hmm. number of other guys. But I think because of Billy Crystal's comedy delivery... And that speech at the end really made that role his. So, yeah, I, I, I do like that movie. Um, that's one of the traditional, I mean, we've talked a lot of non-traditional rom-coms here, but the traditional, you know, feel-good story, the, you know, the movie that builds up to the romance and the stuff, like this yeah. is probably one of the, the standard bearers for that genre. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a good movie. I like it. I would say that Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan just didn't really gel as a couple for me very well. Um, Tom Hanks, as we know, and other roles that they were together, Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan made an amazing couple. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But Meg, Meg Ryan, okay, if Molly Ringwald was the teenage darling of the 80s, uh, Meg Ryan was the adult darling of the 80s for all the yes. adults. I mean, she was just phenomenal in everything she did, you know, really came on the scene as Goose's wife and Top Gun. And then she was with Dennis Quaid and Inner Space and Tom Hanks and Billy Crystal. And if there was a, she was the adult version of Molly Ringwald for adult rom-coms. Oh, I and, totally, totally agree. Yeah. And, uh, you know, another iconic scene, you talked about the, the diner scene where she'll have what she's having. But another one that I always thought was hilarious and actually made me laugh out loud was when Billy Crystal was eating the grapes and decided to spit the seeds out and the window was closed. big j you got one more for us here i do have one more and i think uh i think you're really going to appreciate this one rob okay Um, so my second movie is uh one crazy summer oh yes which is kind of a kind of an unknown i mean even Mm -hmm. it's kind of reached a little bit of a cult classic uh, but it's more of a, a wink and a nudge not a lot of people are know this movie or are very aware of it came out in 1986 
It starred John Cusack, Demi Moore, Bobcat Goldthwaite, and so many other characters. Curtis Armstrong, again, who was Booger in Revenge of the Nerds. Jeremy Piven, who was a favorite actor of mine. This was actually his first movie because he was actually uh, John Cusack's uh, roommate. And that's how he got the role. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, Tom Villard, which uh, you would know him if you saw him. He was in Heartbreak Ridge. Uh, and uh, William, William Hickey, who uh, was the old grandfather in Christmas Vacation. The blessing, you know that was <laughs> that was him. He was in that. Uh, Rich Little and uh, Billy Bird, which Billy Bird is an actress that has been around since the 1950s. Multiple movies and TV shows, including Max Dugan Returns. I don't know if you guys have ever heard. I that loved movie. that one. Yeah, a bit. I've never seen it. That is that is a very very young Matthew Broderick movie with Jason Robards. It's a fantastic film. Uh. 16 Candles. Billy Bird was in 16 Candles. Uh, she was in two of the Police Academy movies. Uh, in TV, she was a recurring role on Benson, and she was in the entirety of the TV show Dear John with Judd Hirsch. Do you remember that oh, show? Yeah. Yes, I remember that one. Yeah. The so theme that's, is that was, iconic. <laughs> so the synopsis is John Cusack plays a recent high school graduate named Hoops, who is an aspiring artist, but he struggles to finish his application to get into a prestigious Rhode Island art school because he incessantly doodles about his struggles to find love and all throughout the movie there's all kinds of animation breaks where these little cartoon characters are going around just you know doing crazy things he reluctantly agrees to spend the summer with his best friend's family in Nantucket and he falls hard for a local rocker played by Demi Moore who's struggling to save her grandfather's home from greedy developers hijinks ensue in their attempts to save the home culminating in a sailboat regatta for all the marbles it came out in 86 i was 12 when it came out so this movie just really hit me on a whole bunch of different levels uh i love the animation of the cartoons so that drew out the kid in me mm -hmm. uh, the comedy was hilarious i fell in love with bobcat goldthwaite in this movie before i'd even seen him in police academy um and just the way he delivered his lines and his chaos the scenes where bobcat gets stuck inside of a king kong or a, a godzilla suit and destroys a mini model of a city. You know, I mean, just all of these things just really appealed to me as a kid. Watching it as an adult, all of the humor just really appeals to me as well. But uh, I, I thought it was just an absolutely fun movie. And it's, the cast is so various that it's, you watch it and you're like, oh, that's, that's that guy. You know, you know, you've seen him in other things, but you don't know who he is. Right. Um, and I just, and I think it was, uh, I just think it was a great movie. It's one that I fondly remember as a kid. So what are yeah. your guys' thoughts about it before I get into like trivia and stuff? I always enjoy it. I haven't seen it in many years. It's definitely worth going back and rewatching because I do remember really liking it. I, I saw it in the theater, as a matter of fact. So it's it's been a lot of years, of course. You know, I love John Cusack, but yeah, it's it, it, it's a it's a very, very good movie. It was one that I saw years ago, probably when I was still in high school in 86. And I remember liking it then. I vividly remember all the different cartoons and thinking that was so funny how they joined everything together. And about six months ago, I was trying to find it somewhere streaming. And I think it was rental only. And I didn't have the amount of time I needed one sitting to dedicate to it. But I keep looking for it just free somewhere the where I could record it from, you know, live TV and, and rewatch it because it's one I do want to watch again. Mm -hmm. It's been yeah. so many years. Yeah, speaking yeah. of the animation, um, John Cusack's character in Say Anything also had lots of animation. He was mm -hmm. he would be doodling and drawing, and they'd come to life and become cartoons. And 
he ends up shouting at the paper one time and he's in class I'm like whoops so the animation was all done by the director which was savage steve holland who did um better off dead and and so he did the animation probably too for better off dead i would guess he did yeah interesting same, same. okay and you can uh tell by looking at if you put them side by side you can tell it's that same animation style and the mm-hmm. same artist but yeah mm-hmm. wow yep one crazy summer is directed by savage steve holland the same director of better off dead also starring john cusack and curtis armstrong uh it's been called an unofficial sequel to better off dead i don't know if you hmm. were aware of that or not but they they call it better off dead on the beach i never heard that that's great i yeah. hadn't either because it, it came out literally the next year um, and it had the same characters. So uh, the teddy bear that George's grandmother gives to his sister is the same teddy bear Lane gives to Beth in Better Off Dead. And then uh, animation scenes were drawn by the, direct- the director. The two animated bunnies that get killed at the end of the movie bear a striking resemblance to film critics Siskel and Ebert, which is a throwback <laughs> to them panning Better Off Dead. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, so there's some fun uh, interactive soundtracks with that, or uh, interactive animation with that. Uh, speaking of soundtracks, the soundtrack was gigantic. There were so many different people on the soundtrack. Performers include a lot of Beach Boys songs, Twisted Sister, ZZ Top, The Eurythmics, Marvin Gaye, Steppenwolf, David Lee Roth, Herb Alpert, and of course, you know, the one that just took the cake was when Demi Moore actually sang her song on stage, the, the rock song that she sang. I just thought that the soundtrack was just incredibly diverse uh, as far as sounds and, and everything, but it fits perfectly with every scene. Yeah, my my favorite song from that that soundtrack is "What Does It Take" uh, by Honeymoon Suite, which mm. they're a Canadian band and you know, semi decent career in the '80s, but uh, not very remembered. Very underrated band, but yeah, they were they had the song in this movie that was just really good. So that was that's a that's a you know when that was the first movie that popped in my head when Rob said we're talking about '80s rom coms. I was like, well, I uh, I got to talk about that one. Good one. <laughs> I, I, okay, I lied. I, I, I lied. It was the second movie. First one was Princess Bride. And when I but found out that wrong. was taken. Yes. If, well, you if, know, you, you come late to the party and that's what you get. So well, it's my fault for inviting you late. So you can blame. No, me. no, 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 no fault necessary. I mean, it, it got covered and I think it was, uh, I think it was a great coverage. Well, between the two of you, you guys uh, slayed that one. So good yeah. job. No. Yeah. Oh, I, oh. I could do a whole episode on Princess Bride. I love the movie. Nice. So, and I, I have a feeling you'll be doing a Princess Bride episode on one of your podcasts soon. No, I'm thinking about it. I'm you thinking could. it'd be a really good idea. Maybe mm-hmm. have a have a whole panel of, of Princess Bride nerds together. You guys have fun. <laughs> they they are hard to find. They're hard to find. I tell you. I think, uh, I think there's one in Texas. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. Um, so my last film here I wanted to talk about was uh, Nicolas Cage's first starring role. Now, he had some lesser parts and um, non-speaking roles in movies such as Fast Times at Ridgemont High. But in 1983, uh, he was in a movie called Valley Girl. 
Uh, it was starring himself, uh, Deborah Foreman, Elizabeth Daly were in it. Those are the only people you really heard of that were in this movie. Elizabeth Daly may know as Dottie from um, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. And uh, she actually uh, played uh, one of um, one of our heroines friends. But uh, the plot of the movie, Julie Richmond is a valley girl who seems to have it all. Good looks, popularity, and a handsome valley dude boyfriend, Tommy, who is the quintessential 80s jerk. He had the sweater tight around the neck, the blonde hair, the perfect teeth, mean to everyone. And uh, Julie was really kind of tired of the relationship and where it was going. And she happens to go to a party and locks eyes with Randy, played by Nicolas Cage. Randy was more of a punk rock guy, um, more of a um, Sunset Strip guy. He, uh, him and his friend Fred, just kind of side by side, um, just hanging out. Not a whole lot of care in the world. Uh, they meet, of course, they fall in love. And um, as time goes on, problems happen. They end up breaking up and getting back together again. So that's what you need to know about the movie. Um very very good time capsule this movie is i sounded like yoda right there didn't i wow okay (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so if you're looking at uh movies that capture the time period this movie unashamedly captures like 1983 valley girl culture so that whole thing um kind of bled over to the you know to the the midwest of the east coast where these girls were just had this talk just because they were emulating what was going on out there and they had the look kind of like that think think the madonna gloves lacy thing going on but uh it was a it was a cute movie it was good um it was lots of you know comedic parts to me the reason i really wanted to use this one because it has one of the most phenomenal soundtracks mm-hmm of the entire decade a lot of um, new wave type artists like uh, the plimsolls the paolas the sparks men at work uh, psychedelic furs the flirts uh, modern english the sparks tony basil banana rama thompson twins culture club the jam uh, several others and i um i just have always I watched this recently. Uh, they they did a remake of it, and it was a musical. And of course, when I see this kind of stuff happen, it gets my curiosity. So I had to watch it. So Alicia Silverstone plays the mom. Um, it's it takes a lot of the songs from the soundtrack, and they're remade, reworked, and sung as a big group thing. Wasn't super impressed with the movie, but if you're you know an 80s pop culture fan uh, it's worth watching and, and seeing what they've done with it um not doesn't hold up as good as the original movie did but i enjoyed it i enjoyed the um the, the you know the glance back to the original but the original itself good movie it was it three hundred fifty thousand dollars is what it cost to make this movie and it did 10 million so, Only three hundred and fifty thousand to yes, make a movie. And when you see it, wow! Like, there's some scenes in a couple houses, in the school, 
in a couple clubs and um, at the mall, of course, because mm-hmm. uh, of the 80s. So, the mall scene's iconic, yes. Yeah, so I'm sure they got these the scenes, you know, these locations for next to nothing. The mall probably loved having them in there for, you know, publicity. You get to school in the summer when it's closed, they probably get it for $75 a day. So, and then there being no real major stars, they didn't have these huge salaries they had to pay. So, you know, it was a, it was a good investment for them. Um, again, when it comes to romantic comedies, this one may not come to the forefront, but my memory um, says this is a good movie and definitely worth, uh, worth checking out if you haven't. So, Debbie, I'm, I'm sure you've seen this. I was today's years old when I saw this movie. You're kidding. And I am not kidding. And so I was thinking today when I was going over the list of things that I thought were going to be talked about. And I thought, why haven't I seen this movie? So I looked it up and it was released in 1983 when I would have been 14 years old. And it was rated R. So I couldn't get into a theater to see it. And so I decided this afternoon that I would start watching it. So as I, as I was doing some things around the house, I had it playing and was watching it. I'm about three quarters of the way through it. So I can say I've technically seen most of the movie. As I watched, I thought, boy, that food court in that mall was a lot nicer than the food court in our mall. It's been a fun watch and, and I really have enjoyed it. And like I said, I'm glad that I finally took the time today to uh, sit and put it on the, the screen. Jason, I'm going to assume you've probably never seen this little more obscurish movie no i haven't i know of it uh i knew that nicholas cage was in it i didn't realize it was his first movie mm-hmm. um but no i uh i unfortunately have not seen it but it does sound really interesting because the valley girl culture in the 80s was fascinating especially with uh, not so much the language you know the way that they talked that was kind of irritating but the uh the clothing you know brought up by obviously uh inspired probably i would say by madonna's material girl Mm-hmm. type type uh, fashions yeah. and um you know i think that's when you look back at girls in the 80s that's that that's what made them hot that and the big hair oh yeah <laughs> and so i think it would be actually uh, i think i'm really intrigued in watching it I'm, I'm making a list right now of uh you know movies that i need to catch up on and i need to see but Good. it uh it sounds really neat and uh i think it's going to be a fun movie Oh yeah, it is. It is. So nice. Um, so that's really all I've got on Valley Girl. I, you know, if you haven't seen it, check it out, especially for you know, the eighties nostalgia loving person out there. If you've missed this one somehow, check it out. It's available on uh, a few different streaming services. Um, so there's a few movies here that that did not kind of make our cut that may be bigger movies. <laughs> we just, you know, we just, we chose the movies with that We used um, the sure thing is, is one that I wanted to use too. another John Cusack movie. Uh, he is with, I can't remember the girl's name, but they they're going on a road trip from college to the West coast and they can't stand each other, but he's going because he's about to hook up with a girl that is interested in him, friend of a friend, and he's guaranteed to get some action when he gets there. So he's looking forward to getting there. Uh, long story short, uh, they end up, um, the guy and the girl that hate each other, kind of when Harry met Sally-ish. End up <laughs> so uh, let's see. Uh, Snowball said we should 
we should uh, have used Can't Buy Me Love, uh, mm. Patrick Dempsey. That's a good one. Um, that's a fun one. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And Bull Durham. Another oh, yeah. Comedy. Uh, Kevin Costner, Susan Sarandon. Um, that's, a, that's a good one. Uh, Kevin said, Say Anything. Another. I wondered about that, that one, but is that a comedy or is it just uh, a romance? Know, there's some comedy parts in it. I don't think I would call it a romantic comedy, even though, I mean, I guess it could make its case because of the mm-hmm. comedy yeah. elements in it. Because, I mean, there are some some parts that crack me up. Um, mm-hmm. But I'd say I almost chose it, but I thought, comedy. oh, I don't know if there's enough comedy. So, yeah. 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 Um, and then Casey, who who was another person that was going to come and backed out, she, she was going to use Splash. Oh, yeah. So she, she was going to have splash and, can't, splash and Can't Buy Me Love. So, yeah, it got mentioned. Now, my daughter, Kayla, was going to join and and I was going to let her use Pretty Woman, which was technically released in 1990, but was made in 1989. So we're going to give that a close enough. Yeah. So we're going to we're going to make an exception because she's my little girl. And, you know, <laughs> and I'm that's a lot to do that. That's right. That's right. And so we were going to do that one. Mystic Pizza is another one that she was going to talk about. Another Julia Roberts movie, which I actually enjoyed. That's yes. a good one. Shag is one that I like. This kind of a little under the radar movie too, with Phoebe Cates and Bridget Fonda, and uh, these girls. It takes it takes place in like the early '60s, and they uh, they live in a small town not far, about an hour and a half drive from Myrtle Beach. So they go to Myrtle Beach on spring break, and hijinks happen. So that's a fun mm-hmm. one. I was actually in Myrtle Beach when the movie was getting filmed. They were looking for extras for a couple of the scenes. And they were kind of like, hey, if you want to come down, come down. And if we can use you, we'll use you. Uh, I had a mullet back then. So I probably figured I pretty much would not be able to be taking place in the role and <laughs> as an extra. So by chance at Hollywood, I was out the window because I wouldn't get a haircut. That's what. <laughs> That's, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> right. So, yeah, that and my face, all those together. So are there any rom-coms that we may have missed that you guys can think of? I was thinking Earth Girls Are Easy. Gina Davis and um, Jim Carrey Holden. and one of the Damon, one of the Wayans brothers, Damon Wayans and okay. Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Very, very 80s. Yes. You know, I remember downtown. it, but I've never seen it. It's got Julie Brown and basically uh, these aliens, these three aliens crash and Gina Davis's pool. And she and uh, Julie Brown is a hairstyle is a hairstylist and they're all covered in fur. So she gives them total makeovers and are all these three gorgeous looking guys <laughs> and try to acclimate to Earth. Jim Carrey has zero lines in the entire movie. And I think it's actually one of his first films. Mm-hmm. And um, but it's it's you know Gina Davis falls in love with Jeff Goldblum and so it's at heart a romantic comedy. It's a sci-fi romantic comedy. Right up your alley, Debbie. Any anyone you could think of that we missed? Well, this one would have your favorite actress share in it, but it would be Moonstruck with Nicolas oh, Cage. Goody. Yeah, <laughs> darn, I I missed that one. <laughs> I know you because really of share about that. <laughs> if anybody else in the world would have been in that role, I probably would have seen it at some point. If Molly Ringwald would have been in, I would have seen it. 
would have seen it 100%. Yeah. Uh, you know, when yeah. I was when I was Googling uh, romantic rom-coms of the 80s, uh, one that kept popping up was Dirty Dancing. Yeah. yeah I saw that too. And I don't yeah, see that and, as a comedy. And it's not a comedy either. at all, really. No. Mm. Uh, I, you know what, Jay? I, I had the same thing because I Googled them too. And that, that kept coming up. I'm like, who thinks that's... I'm like, there are a couple funny moments in it. Like her sister trying to sing was pretty funny yeah um but like beyond that there's not a whole lot of laughs in that movie mm-hmm. so now big would be one but rob have you ever hmm. seen big i have seen it years ago it's been a long time yeah yeah i i saw big i've seen big a few times um i could see that as being a romantic comedy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah just uh well, I won't go into that. If you really think about it, it's kind of creepy. It That's, creepy. I watched it recently and I thought the same thing. You know, watching it as a teenager, it's like, oh, this is a fun movie. And as an adult, you're watching it, you're like, oh, but he's really chronologically a kid <laughs> he's with 12. a grown lady. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I was thinking that the last time I watched it, I'm like, it just, it's just like, uh, uh, is it weird science, I think, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's the same way that you watch it. It doesn't play well now as an adult when you look back on it and think about the premise of that. <laughs> yeah. No. Well, and that just weird. that just shows that those those are made for kids, you know, because you yes. you live vicariously through the teen actor, and yes. you don't you know you don't appreciate it or you don't uh, interact with it as an adult. Right. Mm-hmm. I weird science could also be a a uh, romantic comedy. Because mm-hmm. so, our, yeah. our our boys do find true love at the end. Yeah. Absolutely. And it is funny. It's a very funny movie. It is. Yeah, I'd put that up there. Um, Fast Times at Ridgemont High also could be somewhat considered a romantic comedy because, you know, we do have people fall in love. So. Mm-hmm. Did we say Bull Durham? Uh, yes. Yes, mm-hmm. that's, that's one of Snowball's suggestions. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's so funny that you guys still call him Snowball. Oh yeah, I can't. I can't call him Mike Moore. It's it's hard. To <laughs> well, he he got that nickname on my podcast. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Yeah, that and, was hilarious. Yeah, and he is like literally the only person I know that likes hostess snowballs. <laughs> when you when you put out information like that, that's your new name. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> I right. didn't realize that that's where that came from, but now it's yes. all making sense. Yes, that's uh, that's it. Our little snowball. <laughs> all right well guys thank you for joining and uh, tammy thank you also i know you had to leave early but we appreciate you stopping in and sharing your wisdom and your time um hopefully everyone has a has a great time this weekend and uh celebrates valentine's day with the one they love or like a lot or whatever and um you know jason you've got plenty of time you need to make sure you treat Carla right on Valentine's Day. <laughs> yeah, well, I actually, uh, I I just got our Valentine's present uh, from Amazon today or yesterday. So now, is it, is it something you can share, or you need to keep it on the download so she doesn't find out? Uh, I can I can share it because I doubt if she's going to hear this before I give it to her. But hmm. I found these little bracelets. One's got a sun on it, and one's got a moon on it, and when it hooks up to your cell phone and when you tap it, it lights up and vibrates. So, you know, the other person is thinking of you. Oh, 
Look at you, man. That's like next level romance right there. <laughs> Softy. Good yeah. Good job. Debbie, are you doing anything for your significant other? You know, we got engaged on Valentine's Day back in 1991, but we, nice. and we went to a restaurant that day, but we do avoid going out around the weekend of Valentine's Day, you know, enjoy being in versus being out in a crowd. All right. Well, guys, have a great week. Thank you again for joining. Uh, next week, we'll be back with another exciting action-packed episode. I think the Snowball, Kevin, and Matt will be back with me. So stay tuned. Who knows what kind of nonsense we'll get into. Well, guys, that's all of our time for tonight. Thank you again for joining. We will see you next time. Uh, our outro song today from the Valley Girl soundtrack is Angst in My Pants by Sparks. Thanks a lot. Take care. And God bless. If it doesn't show, it'll go away It's just a passing phase, it'll go away But when you think you made it disappear It comes again, I know I'm here and I've got angst in my pants Wow, there he is. Debbie no, 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 no. just held up a Barry Manilow CD like she's proud of it. No, that is not me. That's Tammy. Tammy's in the chat here. OMG, I had to giggle so bad. Yikes. <laughs> she's still laughing about Barry Manilow, apparently. He's I'll be okay. All right. Let's go. We can do this. <laughs>